Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of the Yard. We're going to go a little shorter today. Just going to let you know ahead of time. I got some cleaning up to do here before the wife gets home. Not bad. I got most of it done last night, but I want her to come home to a clean house. If you've ever been in the doghouse, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like, oh, you've had all this time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, nevertheless, I also uh, spent the morning at the Bryan Building, spent some time with Zach Selman. We're going to talk about that on the show today. One-on-one interview with Zach. That's my second one in about uh, three weeks. And uh, some clarity on the Chris Simona situation, the expectations of Mississippi State baseball kind of going forward. Uh, also talk with him about some other things that are concerns to me. And I'm happy to say that he agrees with me on most of these issues. So... I want to say this, too, and I mentioned this on Gene's page. Guys, listen, I want to make sure you understand this. We get so caught up sometimes in all the things that we've got going on and things that are important to us. And uh, listen, I'm your advocate, okay? And that's something that I take very, very seriously. When I walk in and sit down with an administrator at Mississippi State, I want to be able to ask them the questions that are important to you. So I asked him about logos. I asked him about branding. I asked him about NIL. I asked him about ticketing. All that stuff. And uh, I'm grateful to you, number one, that you entrust me uh, to subscribe to our website and listen to the show. So when I go in there, I am going on your behalf. I'm not just going there to talk about, you know, Motley Crue or something, right? I mean, that's just not my objective. I'm going in there to ascertain information that is helpful for the Bulldog family. And I take that responsibility very seriously. Maybe some other people don't. I Listen, I'm I'm not, listen, I've met a lot of famous people in my day, right? A a bunch. I would say probably more than most. I would say I'm probably in the top 1% in the country when it comes to meeting famous people. And that's not in any way to name drop. So I am not awestruck to go sit down and have a conversation with somebody that's in the public eye. It just doesn't bother me. And so when I go in there, I'm not just happy to be sitting there interviewing Dak Prescott or interviewing Zach Selman or anybody else, Jake Mangum, right? It's just not, it's just part of what we do. And so I say that because I'm not going to go in there and just say, oh, how great it was that I got to go meet Zach Selman. Not that he's not a great guy, and it's not that I'm not a respecter of the position or a person. But the bottom line is I've got a job to do when I go in there. And it's not just to sit there and just lob softballs and call it a day and go right up an interview and say, hey, we we got our job done today. No, 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 that's not how we do it. Maybe some other people do it that way. That's not how I do it. And uh, listen, there's a lot that I could say about people in the media. There's even some things I could say about some people in the Mississippi State media. But I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to keep doing my job. That's what I'm going to do. They can do what they want to do, how they see fit, and I'm going to do how I see fit. And uh, there is a reason that I have been involved in this since 1997, period. Uh, So we're going to continue to do a good job as best we can. And uh, I look forward to going and sitting down with Zach Selman because there's so many times, too, I never know where the conversations are going to go, and I don't mean that in a Mike Leach sort of way, God rest his soul. But Zach, when I go interview him, he always has questions for me, you know, and it's mainly about what you guys are talking about. He wants to know. And, I'm, again, I've met him a few times casually at ball games, kind of introduced myself, but the two times that I've had a chance to sit down with him one-on-one 
and just kind of have an open dialogue on and off the record, I've been very, very impressed. I have been. And it was so much more comfortable this time. Last time was great. This time is even more comfortable, I think, because I've established some credibility with him. Uh, but I think it's one of those things, too, that in order for, for you guys to get the answers that you want, you got to have somebody that's willing to and has the ability to go sit down and ask a question and frame it up in a way where we can get an answer. Last time I went, I thought he was a little more guarded. This time I think he was a little more open. And so you can read that in its entirety at jeanspage.com right now, available for VIP members. And you'll have to forgive me because I'm going to give you some things, some details today, but the rest of it you'll have to read for yourself. And because it was an exclusive one-on-one interview, uh, that's something that we're going to reserve for our subscribership. So I'm not going to give you everything. I'm going to give you a few things here on the show, but you're going to have to go read for yourself uh, if you want to read what he had to say about everything. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I am probably going to go have dinner again there today. Probably. The wife's coming home, and uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I may have a problem. I mean, honestly. Because I almost ordered two Mississippi barbecue burgers the other day for dinner. Almost. I didn't have lunch that day. You know, just popped a bag of popcorn, ate a snack, and said, well, I'll just go have a big dinner, you know, which isn't the healthiest of things, but... Uh, but nevertheless, I wanted it so bad, I almost got two, and I thought, if I order two, number one, it's the last meal of the day. Probably don't want to sleep like that, you know, on a big, full stomach. But also, too, you know, uh, I don't want anybody to think, hey, Steve's got a problem. And maybe I do. Because ever since I walked out of Bulldog Burger Company, I've been thinking about going back to get another Mississippi barbecue burger. I didn't have the spring rolls. I mean, there's no way. Listen, guys, I mean, honestly, I don't want to overdo it. I'm beautiful enough as it is. I just kind of maintain. I can't eat a whole order of spring rolls by myself and then expect to make it home, you know, without some type of, you know, interaction. You know what I'm saying. You got to trust it. And I saw a remarkable transformation the other day from a young man that shared it with me. His original face, the spring rolls, and the next thing you know, he's Adonis. It's incredible. It is. So thanks for sharing that. It's results you can trust. Uh, three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harper Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. want to share with you, too. We got some takeover taps coming up. Uh, a little bit late getting this information this time, but uh, we got some tap takeovers coming up. You know, there's live music. There's tap takeovers. Uh, here's the deal. And uh, all right, so... There's one tonight in Tupelo, and that's going to be at 530. I'm a little later recording the show, so if you're listening to this on the way home, swing through Tupelo because the Good People Brewing Company are going to be there starting at 530. Go by and check out some of their stuff. And here's the deal, too. So Bulldog Burger Starkville, we're having a, a takeover, a tap takeover on June 1st. June 1st, a tap takeover of our very own. Memphis Made is rolling in. The fun starts at 6.30. They're going to feature five of their incredible selections along with two chef-curated specials to go along with them. Yeah, it's a special night. You get a special dish, special tap. So if you're into that kind of thing, and many of you are, go by and check it out. Again, that's tonight in Tupelo starting at 5.30, and then on June the 1st, 6.30 here in Stargill as Memphis Made rolls in. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. All right. 
Let me give you a little personal news before we get into uh, a couple other things. So uh, yesterday, I went down to Jackson, and uh, a lot of you have been uh, asking for some time, Steve, what's the next book? What are you going to do? Are you going to write this book? Uh, so we have come to terms on a new book contract for book number six. And I'll be honest with you, just seeing that, saying that book number six, it's one of those things that uh, it gives me a great sense of pride, but also, too, it's, it's kind of overwhelming. Sometimes I think, is this really my life or am I living somebody else's? Uh, but I'm excited. So many of you have responded. I put it out on Facebook yesterday, and uh, the response has been overwhelmingly positive. I want to thank you all for that. This book's not going to be a Mississippi State book. And, uh, you know, I've written five. You know, of course, we had Flim Flam, Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs, Dogpile, and then I had the, the book of poetry, Blooms of Oleander. Uh, so I could have done another Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs book. I'm probably going to do that in 2025. Probably. I already have some interviews done. Uh, I'm just kind of amassing them as I go. So when I finally sit down to do that one, and we're tentatively going to title that one State Greats. And that'll be the third and probably the final book in the trilogy, right? Obviously, if it's a trilogy, the third one's the final one. But, and maybe we ended up selling those as a package deal because uh, it's a story of our athletic history. But I, I leaned toward doing that one this time and just felt like I needed to do something else. You know, again, I've got some great interviews. And, you know, Will Clark has agreed to do the book and uh, a few other people. But uh, nevertheless, that's, that's going to have to wait. A lot of you wanted me to do a Mike Leach biography this year. And I'm not going to. And let me tell you why. There's a couple reasons why. Number one, I don't know that I can do the book justice in the time frame allotted. Like, you know what? Like, even though the, uh, the printing business is much better, like with Dogpile, Dogpile was supposed to be released in November. They didn't get it to us until February because it was a national paper shortage. We've got that handled. They're turning books around in like five weeks. And so in order for me to write the Mike Leach book, you know, if we get it done by uh, end of July, 1st of October, or 1st of August, excuse me, they could turn it around about six weeks and we'd have it in time for the holidays. I just don't know if two months is enough time to write a book that important because it's going to require a ton of interviews, a ton of research, a ton of fact checking. And that's the thing about the book business is, you know, if when you write something, that becomes the, the accepted written records. You got to make sure you got it right. And I've made some mistakes. I have. And you got to go back and you, know, you fix it in the reprint. But the reality of it is, is I don't feel ready to do it. I don't think I've got enough time to do that book justice. I do want to write that. I just don't think I can get it done in time for the holidays and do a good job. And I think I owe it to Mike Leach to do my best job on that book, that when I can really allocate some time. So we're leaning now towards doing that one next year. Maybe have that out in the fall of 2024. Maybe we roll that out for kickoff, season opener. Maybe we'll do a big signing at Campus Bookmark uh, to open up the 2024 football season, unveiling the Mike Leach book. Uh, the second thing, and I'll say, and this is maybe the most important thing, is a lot of people close to Mike Leach are not ready for this. They're not ready. Guys, it's been, it's been less than six months. And I'm not going to go out there and write an unauthorized biography of somebody that I love and respect, like Mike Leach, without the permission and cooperation of the family and the friends who were closest to him. It's not going to do it. To be honest with you, I think it almost would come off a little bit exploitive. And that's just not how I want to do it. I want to honor my friend 
not look like I'm trying to cash in on a situation. And one of the things that we're kind of kicking around to is um, when we do the Mike Leach book, we're uh, going to see if we can't have some of the proceeds go uh, to the Mike Leach Scholarship Foundation. Yeah, because there's a scholarship not Mississippi State. You know, maybe we can help fund that. You know, I'm sure it's an endowed scholarship, but I think it would be nice if us to make some type of contribution uh, in Mike Leach's name. And, and maybe if they don't need that, maybe we use the proceeds and we give it to, uh, you know, the Cody Wyoming Little League Association where, where Coach first became a coach. You know, so we're going to do something good with that money. I just don't think we can do a good job. And I also, like, when I think about, you know, Sharon and Dave Emmerich and Mason Miller and all these people that were so close to him, I, they're just not ready. And I've talked to a few people, like Dave Emmerich has said, Steve, I'm more than happy to help you. I'll make all the arrangements and all the phone calls and all the introductions we need to make to get you interviews with all the people that were instrumental in Mike Leach's career. He goes, but I'm just not ready. And so we're not going to rush the process. We're, we're not going to do that. You know, I'm, I'm a person, despite what you may think, I actually do have some class. And uh, I, I'm not ready. And you can only begin to think, if I'm not ready, the people that have known him for decades clearly aren't ready. And so we just don't want to rush that process. So I am writing my book of recovery. Uh, I was actually under contract to write this book uh, back in uh, 2000. Let me think for a second here, 18. When we wrote Stark Villains, the initial plan was like, so I signed the deal, right? Signed the deal to do Flim Flam with the understanding if the book sold well, we'd do a second book. And then when I agreed to do a second book uh, with the same agent publisher, I said, hey, I'll do this deal. I'll do another Mississippi State book, but I want to do the book of recovery. And so we had it. We kind of had an, an, an unwritten agreement that we were going to do that. So that was the initial plan. And then they wanted me to write the sequel to Flim Flam. My heart just wasn't in it. I just didn't think there was a book there. You know, I was like, I think we've told the story, you know, all we need to tell. That's not to say we won't circle back someday. Lots happened since then, right? Uh, but all that said, I just didn't think there was, I didn't think there was enough uh, meat on the bone to go back for a second bite. So to make a long story short, I pitched Stark Villains. I said, hey, instead of doing, you know, Flim Flam 2, you know, let's, uh, Let's do Stark Villains. And uh, Stark Villains, now there's you know, very few copies remaining. So if you want to buy Stark Villains, you're going to have to buy it through a bookstore because there's none left in the warehouse. We're out of print. And so uh, you can still get those. Well, then we were going to do the, the, uh, the recovery book. And then the quarantine hit, and uh, Stark Villains had done so well. And I still had, I think, about four stories that uh, I was working on. And we said, hey, it's, since we have all this time, let's take these stories and kind of add to them. You know, people are home. It's a quarantine, right? And so we wrote Alpha Dogs in 2020. And um, it's the companion book to Stark Villains. You don't have to read them in order. They're both just kind of collections of stories written chronologically about Mississippi State Athletics history. Those books are mainly about the rivalry. And so all of a sudden, you know, the recovery book kind of keeps getting kicked down the road. And so then I was going to take 2021 off. After writing three books um, in three years, I said, let's, well, let's take some time off here. Let my mind rest a little bit because it is a massive undertaking. No matter what anybody tells you, if anybody tells you writing a book is easy, they're, they're lying to you. It's a very difficult and laborious process. It takes a lot of time. And so... Um, 
A friend of mine convinced me to do Blooms of Oleander. I said, hey, you've got all these poems laying around. Why don't you like just put a small collection of poems out there just to kind of remain relevant? Little did I know, we sold a bunch of books. Never expected to. I was like, hey, we just, you know, I'm going to self-publish this one. That's the only book I have self-published, contrary to the rebel belief. But I got all my money back and then some. Made a little money on the book. And uh, so I'm not renewing it. You know, I figure anybody that wants to buy it's already bought it. Uh, but nevertheless, wrote that one. And then lo and behold, we win the national championship. And so, of course, we had to write Dogpile. And uh, kind of going back and giving you some backstory on that. The day that we played Notre Dame for the Women's College Basketball National Championship, my publisher calls me and says, hey, there's going to be a lot of interest in a book. If Mississippi State wins today, you should write a book. But we want you to write a book about State winning the NFL Championship. And I said, that will be great. But I hung up the phone. I said, I'm so incredibly unprepared to write this. So ever, ever since then, I have kept every interview I've ever done. I've kept them all. Football. Any basketball stuff. I hadn't done much basketball stuff since 2020. Um, but every baseball interview, I kept them all. So when I got ready to write Dogpile, I was prepared. I had saved every interview. And, of course, I went. I covered every game home or away, uh, with the exception of the um, the game at uh, College of Charleston, I guess it was, or the Citadel, whatever it was. And, uh, and, of course, we didn't get to go to Dallas because the interstate was frozen. But all that said, I missed four games in 2021. And we did Zoom interviews for those. So I still had access to those, those quotes. So I wrote Dogpile, the longest book and probably the most important book I've written to date in six weeks. Because we were trying to get it out in time for Christmas for all of you. The, the printer couldn't come through. But nevertheless, I worked 18 hours a day, six days a week. And on the day that I was off, I didn't touch a book at all. I either went to the movies with my kid or I went to a rock show I take a good trip to go do something. You know, I took a full day off. And I said, I'll never do that again. I don't know if I could ever keep that writing schedule again. 18-hour work days. And, and you, you say, oh, Steve, you just said, no, 18-hour work days. And in some nights, it was so difficult to go to sleep. I, I started doing those little meditations on my phone just so I could go to sleep at night, set the clock, get up, and go right back at it again. And uh, there were some days there where, you know, I would write a chapter and then get the editing notes back from because like as soon as I would write them I'd go ahead and fire them off and put them into the editorial process and I would get them back with proposed changes and there were a lot of days that was all I would do I would sit here at a computer I would try to get all my jeans page stuff done in the morning record a show and then spend the rest of my time working on that and so my family didn't see me for a while unless they just happened to walk by the office unless they were around on my day off and so when you begin to think about the time that we have to get a book out for the holidays and uh, the fact that to write my own story, I don't need to interview anybody. I don't need to do any fact checking. I don't need to do any research. You know, there's very, very little that I you know, don't just recall myself. And this is not necessarily a biography. This is about life's lessons learned in 30 plus years of recovery from chemical dependence. And so I'm going to be incredibly, incredibly unvarnished and transparent with this. I'm going to tell you a lot of things about myself that you probably never suspected and maybe you didn't don't even want to know but I, but here's the deal my focus is to um is to help the still suffering addict and those who love them and so i'm writing this book uh and i'm going to put it all out there and I, and, I'm, and then i'm never going to talk about this stuff again unless it's in the vein of recovery like there's some things i'm going to dig up and talk about that there there's some things that people that have known me my whole life that don't know things that i was involved in and 
And uh, thankfully, the statute of limitations has run out on all that stuff. But I'm going to be honest about it. And uh, I'm going to share it with you. I'm a different person today, and that's really a testament to God Almighty and then the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so I am on the right side of the statistics. And so I want to make sure you understand this is not a vanity project. But I'm writing this in hopes of, number one, establishing some credibility with the still suffering neck or so many people out there that are suffering. And they, all they see is the finished product, right? They say, yeah, well, Steve's kind of cool. He's got all these tattoos and long hair, but he doesn't know what it's like. No, I know exactly what it's like. Our drug of choice may have been different. I know exactly what it's like. And so I'm going to identify with them and give them some credibility right at the gate. I'm going to identify with them, find some currency, and say, hey, I am one of yours. You are one of mine. We are cut from the same cloth. And here is the path that I took to get clean and sober. And so I don't care if you root for Mississippi State or Ole Miss or LSU or Arkansas, whatever your brand of, of college allegiance, if you know somebody that is struggling with addiction or perhaps somebody that is young in recovery or even old in recovery that could use some inspiration, I think this book's for you. And so the title of the book is going to be uh, When the Bottom Falls. And a uh, little story behind that real quickly before we change gears here. The, uh, I love that Sleep Theory song, Another Way. And uh, there's a phrase in there that is, it just resonates with me. And I'm the kind of person, too, like if I find a song that fits the vibe I'm in, I'll just listen to it on repeat. Almost like taking medicine, right? You know, it's like it's a meditation almost. And uh, I got to thinking about that phrase, when the bottom falls. And there are so many people that live a life of recovery or addiction, and, and there's so much out there. There's a lot of verbiage in the vernacular that's not truly accurate. People say, well, you know, they hit rock bottom. No, the only real bottom is death. That's it. Things can always get worse. And I was one of those people. The alarm clock kept going off, and I kept hitting the snooze button. I did. And I, they said, well, he hit bottom. Well, I kept digging. And lo and behold, I found another bottom, and then another, and another, and another. And so I'm going to share that not in any way to praise me uh, or to write my memoirs in some way to say, hey, look, you know, look at what I have done or what I've accomplished. Uh, I am nothing today without the good men and women of Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous and uh, the fact that a beautiful blonde-haired girl from Natchez, Mississippi, believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. And she want, made me want a better life for myself. And so I'm going to write that. And there are a lot of people that were very instrumental in my recovery, many that to this day, maybe I have not properly thanked, and this book's going to give me the, the ability to do that. But my focus is to share what I have learned. I don't want to die without imparting the wisdom that has been passed down to me and the things that I have picked up along the way. So I'm going to write this book, and uh, it'll be out uh, this fall. We hope to have it out in September, but yeah, maybe October, but we'll definitely have it out for the holidays, barring something totally unforeseen. Uh, first writing day is Tuesday, and uh, we'll get to work on that. It's not going to be as lengthy as Dogpile. Dogpile is the longest book I've written. It won't be that lengthy. Uh, probably be in line around 250 pages or so. We'll see how it goes. But um, you know, my, my youngest kid graduates on Friday, and so i got family coming in, so I'm going to spend some time with them and um, trade some stories with them, talk with them a little bit, and, uh, and then we're going to get to work. And uh, I'll update you as we go, but I'm not going to have these long extended segments on the show, you know, because a lot of you people, this, that's not your thing. But I want to let you know what's up with me because there's so many people, every time I do a signing anywhere, Steve, what's next? And I didn't know. 
I just didn't know. And uh, I've got a lot of ideas. As a matter of fact, I could put a five-year plan together right now and give you four books that I want to write in the next five years. And it's important to me to write them. And I get approached a lot of times with projects, and sometimes they interest me and sometimes they don't. And so I'm just very blessed to be in a position now where I can kind of pick and choose what I want. And Paul Brown, of course, is a guy that's done a great job, uh, is my agent publisher. And so uh, I trust Paul, and Paul trusts me. And so we sat down yesterday and said, hey, this, I said, this is what I want to do, and this is why I want to do it, and this is when I want to do the Leech book, and this is why. And so we laid it all out, and uh, so we're committed to bringing you guys another quality product. So we'll open up for pre-sale sometime in the next few weeks, and uh, I'll share that with you. Uh, but nevertheless, I'm excited to get going. And uh, as Dana says, the, she said, the fact that you're, I can hear the excitement in your voice tells me you made the right decision. And last night, it was all I could do not to get up here and just start writing. I'm so ready to get going. All right, time for today's top 10 list, and then we're going to get into some Zach Arnett stuff, I mean, some Zach Selman stuff, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the SEC tournament. Top 10 list is always brought to you by, by uh, Close of Blair, closeofblair.com. Go to C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R. Blair is a mortgage professional. That's the best thing about Blair. Blair is my friend. I love Blair to death. But you know what? When you got mortgage needs, that's the guy you turn to, right? And you'll love him too. He's going to do a professional job for you. Guys, 22 years of experience. Nobody hangs around in any job, in any field, for over 20 years by accident. You got to know what you're doing. People won't hire you. And the reason people hire Blair is because he gets loans closed. Top 1% in the country, back to back to back years. Works at Fairway Mortgage, a very reputable lender. Not some non-conforming, fly-by-night subprime lender. You know, not that's going to put you in a bad position. Blair knows what he's going to do. He's going to take care of you. And Blair is a bulldog. He has a season tickets in multiple sports. And uh, he tells me the summertime is when the real estate market gets hot. Because people are thinking, hey, I don't want to move when the kids are in school. you got more time to get out and go look. Uh, reach out to Blair and let him get you pre-qualified to buy a home. Phone number is 601-500-2344. You can call or text him direct. That's his personal cell number. A lot of other people, you know, you, you call them and you leave a voicemail and then it's like a week, three, four days, they get back to you if you're lucky. Not Blair. Blair's going to get right back to you. And chances are if he doesn't answer the phone or respond immediately, he's in the middle of closing somebody else's loan. Yeah, he's a closer. And uh, he has closed several loans for Boneyard listeners. So reach out let him know that you're interested and uh, he can guide you through the process. You're not going to be alone. And this is not somebody that, you know, that's just going to go out here and it's like, oh, you know, at least I got another client. No, Blair's going to hold your hand and walk you through this process. Looking to refinance, he can help you with that too. Uh, but again, that's closeatblair.com. All right, uh, top 10 list. I had somebody reach out on Twitter and said, hey, they loved. I, somebody messaged me directly and another person uh, responded to Roy on Twitter. And I forget the name, so apologize. And so they really loved the, uh, the list that we did uh, from 93, which was uh, in honor of my and Dana's anniversary. And somebody said, well, hey, what about the songs you listened to when you and Dana were dating? Well, we didn't date for very long because your good friend and host is a closer, right? I'm a closer. I don't know what you are used to. You know, maybe you got to hem haul around a little bit. Uh, I met her July 10th of 92. Our first date was August 10th of 92. We were engaged October 7th, 92. Married May of 93. May I share that with you? Uh, but she went from being a complete stranger to being on my joint checking account in uh, less than nine months. So we didn't date for very long. 
And the truth of the matter is we would have got married much sooner had our parents been okay with it. But, uh, you know, we were grown. I guess we could do what we wanted to do, but we didn't want to freak everybody out. So somebody said, hey, what about the songs when you and Dana were dating? So I got you a list. And so what's interesting, and listen, there's no sappy love songs on here, right? I remember listening to uh, George Lamont back then. This is in uh, Rose Bowl's post-clubbing days. You know, if chances are if you were running around that uh, – Shooters, which became Hooters and eventually Senior Frogs down in Hattiesburg, or Sharky Shuck and Jeff. Chances are you saw me. Uh, you went to Fiestas back in the day. I'm sure you saw me. I was probably dancing with a girl you wanted to dance with. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, back in the day, the Kingfish, Neo Beach, the Metro, all those places in South Louisiana, Purple Parrot. You've been to those places back in 1991. Chances are, we were there. Matter of fact, I was at the Kingfish the night the DEA raided the place. But nevertheless, I continued to listen to that stuff. My original plan after I got out of jail, and I say it just like that because I'm an honest person. I went to rehab and I went to jail. I had to go to jail to kind of face the consequences of my actions. I went to jail. I said, I'll get back out. I'll put another band together. And uh, I did, but we, we weren't a dance band anymore. Put a band together. And uh, eventually our stuff got stolen, our, our gear got stolen from our storage unit. And I said, you know what, maybe this isn't for me. So this list is going to be much different. I called her and got some input from her. And of course, I had a reminder of much of these. But um, so this is not going to be just for one group of people. And it's music from the people for the people. But at the same time, too, there is some rap stuff on here. There's some pop stuff on here. There's some alternative rock stuff on here. There's some hair metal on here. And so when I got out of jail, you know, stuff to go find a job and I worked construction for a while. And then uh, I, had a, I had a band, but he, one of my old bandmates was a DJ. And so he had more work than he could do. And so I would DJ swaps at Southern Miss, had some good friends that were Kyle Omegas. And so I would do a lot of their swaps. In fact, I had uh, one of my high school classmates was like the social chair at Kyle Omega, so she made sure I had plenty of work, and if they agreed to a swap with the fraternity, she would say, hey, we want you to book Steve Robertson. So I appreciate that, and uh, I had a lot of fun, and of course, I was absolutely incredibly in love, so I wasn't looking to pick up any college chicks. I had, I had the college chick I wanted. She was at Southern Miss at the time. So here is this list of when we were our early part our, of us dating, the early days of dating. Uh, I tell you who didn't make the list, and nearly there's probably I probably should have worked this in we'll give we'll throw an honorable mention and maybe Roy will throw them on the list for you maybe I used to love MC Brains right you know what I'm talking about MC Brains Uchi Coochie La 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 remember that song you know that one yeah and then uh, AMG yeah the 69 King Jiggable Pie was the one we really liked of course uh, you know better have my money that was, that was the hit. I loved AMG. I loved DJ Quick. I loved all that stuff. I did. Your good friend and host had a wide range of musical interest. And so this list is kind of reflective of that. Number 10, a song that uh, has got a little bit of a hip-hop vibe to it, but was more of a top 40 hit, a one-hit wonder from a band called Joe Public. And when you hear this song, you're going to be like, I remember this. Yeah, it's live and learn. You got to live and learn. And uh, I loved it. And I think everybody used the same bass line on every pop song for about six months there. This is one of them. Number nine, a song maybe should be a little bit higher, but this is such a packed list. 
This song was everywhere, and we've had it on the top 10 list a couple times. When I first heard it, I was like, yeah, this is going to be a hit. It is, and it was. It's Rex and Effects, Rump Shaker. Because, you know, that was like just, that was just back in the day when all of a sudden, you know, um, girls with a little more junk in the trunk were really getting positive. They were a lot of positive feedback about that stuff, about that particular body type. And I hate to say it in those terms, but it's the reality of it. And so Rum Shaker was big because of the fact that uh, it was kind of riding the wave of all of that. Well, now you look out there today and it's like, you know, I, I, I will submit to you, I don't think women have been better looking in the history of recorded man than they are today. Women are much better looking much later in life. They go to the gym, they get out, and they sun. It's, you know, it's tomorrow. I, I could talk about that and get myself in trouble. I'm not going to. But women today are hotter than ever, ever. Uh, but Rex and Effects from uh, the Rum Shaker from Rex and Effects, number nine on your list. Number eight, I bought this cassette, the, I think the very first time that I went to uh, Natchez to meet Dana's parents. And uh, I remember I was in Walmart. And I knew the song, I didn't know the artist. There was a kid there, and I said, Hey, who sings this song? And he looked at me without a moment's hesitation and he said, Arrested Development. And that's right, it's Tennessee. I absolutely loved that song back then. I love it now. I love the message of Arrested Development. I loved how proud they were. I loved how they preached unity. They were a very positive force, I think, in R&B music. And this is, this is kind of on the heels of gangster rap, and I think gangster rap has never really gone away. But Arrested Development was a breath of fresh air. And the song Tennessee was the start for them. That's your number eight song. Number seven, this song actually goes back a little bit, you know, back more towards 91, but uh, it really it was still rolling in 92. It is the iconic album from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar Sex Magic. It was a song to this day that means an awful lot to me. And uh, it's a song about addiction. It's about Anthony Kiedis fighting heroin addiction. It's Under the Bridge, uh, where I drew some blood. You know, because he was a heroin addict. And so Under the Bridge, that was one we listened to. Even though that came out in 91, it was still kicking in 92. Number six, uh, as I mentioned, I DJed. We used to have a couple of D non-pitchable CD players. We had a couple of uh, 15s. I gave it four 15s. We had a great mixing setup. And so everybody loved us because we had this extensive catalog. And I would go buy stuff every single week to add new stuff. But nothing, nothing in the entire time that I DJed. Ever. And, I, and this is going back to when I even DJed at the Pedal, Roll, Pedal Roller Dome. Yeah, that, I was living in Hattiesburg and I DJed. I played music and then DJed at the, the Roller Dome in addition to that. But Sir Mix-a-Lot's Baby's Got Back. That is the most requested song I've ever had. And uh, it got to be such a big deal. We made our own mix. 19 minutes a Baby's Got Back. Because like as soon as you'd play it, like the drunker people got, the more often they would come request it. And kind of like that rump shaker thing. Oh, you know, baby's got back. Everybody wanted to grow back, right? And so um, the reality of it was is we just thought, hey, let's get creative here. And uh, we'll make a mega mix, kind of like uh, Magic Mike, the real Magic Mike, not the movie, but the DJ. And we put together a 19-minute mix of baby's got back. And we sometimes, like if people kept requesting it, we just put it on. And let it play for 19 minutes so we could eat, right? So there you go. Baby's got back number six from Sir Mix-A-Lot. Whose posse's on Broadway? Number five, 
Jane's Addiction was huge, man. It was big. It was a big band for us. And even though this album had came out before then, this ritual, they little habitual. And um, I have actually in this house, I have both album covers: the one that was banned, and then the one that the uh, the plain white one. But uh, the song Three Days" was one that me and Dana both really kind of. And I, she was a little later to the red, to the Jane's Addiction alternative rock uh, party than I was, and so Three Days" was one that we both really loved, and we talked about that moments ago. Very special song for us. Three days, Jane's Addiction. Number four, and I suspect maybe at this time, this may have been Dana's favorite album when we first started dating. I don't. She knew a little bit of it, but I don't think she had the album. I did, and then like every time that we would get in the car, or I would come home from work or something, she'd have it on. And it's the Gish album from Smashing Pumpkins, which is an iconic album in American alternative rock. And uh, very, very, very. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with Smart Money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tecovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tecovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tecovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tecovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tecovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovas.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovas delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Influential band at the time. But uh, the album had already been out, but we, it was, it was kind of new to her. But the song Rhinoceros, I believe, is her favorite. And we were going through all that. And there's always mayonnaise and disarm and... Um, Cherub Rock and all that stuff that from uh, Siamese Dream. But the Gish album was the one that kind of pulled her in. And we actually went and saw them play uh, with Garbage in concert. And, and, I, and she, it was like she was a kid again. I mean, she absolutely loved it. So Smashing Pumpkins, Rhinoceros, number four. Number three, I, I suspect this is probably her favorite Pearl Jam song of all time. And I remember how impactful the video was. Like, we didn't fully appreciate what the song was about until we saw the video. And it was written about a school shooting. And it was so shocking to us in the early 90s that oh, somebody went and shot up a school. It happens all the time now. And that's the thing, too, that I wonder about. And I don't want to get on my soapbox here, but it's like there's all this talk about mental health and we need self-love and self-care. If all of that is true, then why are we continuing to have the? We didn't have any of that stuff. We didn't have all this, you know, self-love and self-absorbed type stuff in the 90s. We didn't have it. You know, we, we had coffee and MTV and The Legend of Zelda. That's what we had. And so now there's, there's more access to mental health care than at any point in recorded history. And we're having these issues. It just boggles the mind, man. Sometimes I just want to get off the ride. But Jeremy from Pearl Jam, without a doubt, an incredible, incredible, incredible song. And again, it was just one of those things that was just so shocking. Jeremy spoke in class today and didn't know what, what did that mean? Well, he shot out the classroom. And it was just so foreign to us. And it has become so commonplace now. And it's still one of those things, too, that, you know, when I get to heaven, I want to ask God, I mean, why do young people die? You know, it's one of those things that just, you know, I know it all works as part of some big master plan. But at the same time, too, I mean, it's like I wish we could, you know, we could do a better job with this. Number two, and uh, this is one of those albums, too, that was kind of, uh, it's hard to really describe. You know, there's some albums that just kind of hit you where you are, and even though the band had disbanded, but it's Mother Love Bones' album, Apple. And I don't know that, um, I don't know that Dana had an album. Like, even now, she'll listen to this album. Like, you go on her playlist, and she'll have a handful of songs from Mud Love Bone's Apple album. The only album that Mud Love Bone did, who were the true pioneers of grunge. It wasn't Nirvana. wasn't. I lived through it. There are many of you, and, and I wasn't high at this point. I was already sober. I lived through it, and I can tell you, Mother Love Bone, uh, Green River, Melvins, all those bands, they were, they were the forerunners of what you know as grunge today. But My Love Bone, of course, became Pearl Jam. Uh, Stone Gossard and Jeff Ahmet, of course, left My Love Bone, you know, the remnants of My Love Bone, and put together um, Pearl Jam, who was the band of the 1990s. As much as I love Soundgarden, you have to admit Pearl Jam, a little more success commercially, a little more of a crossover success. But My Love Bone's Stardog Champion, 
that's we adopted that so much we love the song so much we'd go to AA meetings and we'd say hey I'm 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 Steve I'm an alcoholic an addict and a Starlog champion because it mattered to us we felt like hey we were in our own little club there I love it I love every song on that album every single song on that album and uh, a little just so you know too there uh there are some grunge and mother love bone and temple of the dog references in flim flam and if you're a fan of those bands maybe you picked up on them right interesting interesting i'm always playing a little bit of game with myself right but uh star dog champion number two on your list but number one and uh, it doesn't match anything else on the list. It's nothing like any of the Big Butt songs, and it's not like any of this alternative rock stuff. But the very first time, the very first time that I told Dana Hill that I loved her was after I played this song. You know, even though, that, even though your good friend and host had some game, right, because I'd been on the road, right? I'd been, had been a you know, dancer and played music and stuff like that. I'd been on the road. I had game. But I loved her. I did. I, I, I absolutely loved her. And uh, I got very uncomfortable, like kind of coming to grips with those feelings, right? Even though they felt so great, you know how it is when you're young and in love. It's like you don't want to get hurt. It's like I don't want to do anything stupid to ruin this. And uh, I didn't want to say I loved you too early, but I, but I did. I just said it. And uh, I played this song, and then he, when she was in New Mexico, and I was so pitiful and pathetic and missing her, and uh, not eating and barely sleeping and things like that, and so incredibly depressed. I uh, went on Cameo and uh, found CJ Snare and asked him to do a Cameo video for him and for her, and we have some friends in common, and so I shared it with a friend, and as a result, thankfully, CJ gave us uh, two minutes rather than a minute, and he sang part of this song and uh, gave Dana some words of encouragement and told her how much I loved her, and... uh, it's Firehouse when I look into your eyes. And again, this was kind of like at the end of the ride for the, the 80s hair bands, the early part of the 90s, you know. Uh, but all that said, that's a song even to this day means an awful lot to me. And, you know, I can be riding down the road and I'll put it on or it'll come on Hair Nation and I'll get a little lump in my throat when I sing because it takes me back to that moment. It's like I knew my life was changing and I knew that if I continued to give myself to this woman, I was going to experience something that I never had before. And my hope is you have that in your life. I hope that you have that person in your life that even when you're away from them for, you know, a day or two, it's like you just, you just don't do right. You know what I'm saying? You just don't feel like the right same person. That's me. I, I'm, I, I am not too proud to say that. There was a time in my life I would be like, I don't care, you know, whatever, you know. Uh, but this was it, man. This was a turning point for me. And um, anytime I hear or see this song, it takes me back. We were at, her dad used to work at the International Paper Mill there in Natchez, Mississippi. And so we went and did the little tour, you know. She just wanted to ride me through there. And then there's like a car wash that you ride through when you leave the, uh, the place. And I put the song on then. I said, I got a song I want to play you. Had it all queued up. That's what we did. That's guys that had game. You, you like get it queued up on the tape. You put it in and you play the song. And um, that was the one I played for. And I told her, I love you. And thankfully, she said, I love you too which is the greatest phrase you'll ever hear in your life, ever, ever. The only thing that ever comes close to that is we got a healthy baby, right? But when, when somebody that you love with all you have tells you that they love you, there's nothing that compares to that, nothing. So that's your top 10 list for today, and uh, thanks for the idea. But there you go. And anytime we can talk early 90s stuff, it's always cool, right? Always. It's a great time in music. It was an interesting time of music. 
It was only when we got in the early 2000s that stuff got really stupid. Really, really stupid. There were, I could talk about this all day. I'm not going to. Uh, but the reality of it is, is that the music of the early 2000s, it, it doesn't have any staying power. The, re, the reason that, that that era is not defined is because there weren't any true headliners that had any staying power. Just the truth. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out, let us know. You can find Roy on Twitter at Dogmatic67, his great list, our great list on Spotify, also at Dogmatic67. I'm on all forms of social media at Scout Steve R. Chances are you already follow me. If you're not, you should. Let us know. You may have a great idea. We'll use it. We got a lot. We got we got a back catalog, but you know what? We, we don't go in chronological order. We just some days I'll say, give me a list, and he'll throw one at me. And before we get out of the month, um, I've got to take care of uh, Roy's heritage list. We'll do that one on Monday, but uh, we'll do Tina Turner on Friday. Uh, she passed. News of her passing came right around time we were finalizing the list, getting ready to record. Uh, so there you go. Your top ten list for today. Thanks as always to uh, Blair Chandler at CloseAtBlair.com. All right, next segment of the show brought to you as always by Campus Bookmark. You start building an institution if you're not doing business with Campus Bookmark. You got to ask yourself, what are you doing? You're probably paying too much and not getting the selection you deserve. Go to Campus Bookmark next time you're in town and go see their smiling faces. Outstanding selection of Mississippi State merch. No question about it. If you can't make it to town, let me encourage you to visit them on the World Wide Web, courtesy of Al Gore's Internet, at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bones, absolutely incomplete. All right, let's take a quick look at the SEC tournament before we get to the uh, Zach Selman stuff. Uh, real quickly, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this because we're not playing. In many respects, college baseball season's over for most people. But day one in Hoover was dominated by the pitching. Three shutouts in four games. South Carolina, 9 nothing winners over Georgia. You got to wonder what this means for Scott Strickland's job security there in Athens. Just not exactly sure. You know, they just kind of meandered along a little bit and, uh, you know, barely made the tournament. And uh, we probably should have put them taking care of business. Them, us and LSU, you know, we'll come up with a couple wins short there. But nevertheless, Georgia ekes into the tournament and then doesn't score a run. Texas A&M, 3 nothing winners over Tennessee. That probably eliminates Tennessee from a hosting opportunity. And you hate to see it, right? You do. Alabama battling for a hosting opportunity. Four nothing winners over Kentucky. I still think Kentucky will host. They got the number two RPI in the country, uh, and one of the best non-conference schedules in the country. Kind of helps. They swept Indiana State, who's kind of been that uh, G5 surprise team in the top 15 RPI. I think they're 11 RPI last time I looked. I think Kentucky will still host. I think Alabama uh, could play their way in. Of course, they're now in double elimination play. You squeeze out another win there. Maybe you're in the discussion. Because I think it's going to boil down to Alabama or Tennessee. And I think you go with Alabama if they go longer in the tournament. They should. And then Auburn, 10-4 winners. The Tigers have won nine in a row. Auburn is hot, man. Auburn is dangerous. And one of the things that uh, I love about Butch, I don't know that anybody puts together a better 
postseason pitching plan than Butch Thompson, and that dates back to his time at Mississippi State. Postseason play is Butch Thompson time. It just is. They won nine in a row, 10-4 winners last night. It was a bit of a tussle early on, and then Auburn kind of got the yard work going, even though the wind was blowing in. I look at today's games, uh, LSU 10-3 winners over South Carolina. Of course, LSU on the top four teams, so they got the uh, the bye, you know, so they you know, didn't have to play yesterday. Uh, they take care of South Carolina, really kind of did some work in the middle inning. South Carolina pitching kind of, kind of lost its luster a bit. In South Carolina, a lot of people were thinking they would be a top eight national seed. I just don't think that's going to happen. I don't. I think South Carolina, barring a run out of the loser's bracket to the final, is probably going to be somewhere around 10 or 11. I think they'll just miss a top eight national seed. I know what they're ranked, but that doesn't necessarily match up with what I think the committee's going to do. I think South Carolina, as good as the season has been, they faded a little bit down the stretch. And as a result, I think they're going to miss being a top eight national seed. Uh, A&M and Arkansas currently tied at five. Craziness out there. Uh, Jared Wegman just hit a grand slam for Arkansas uh, a little bit earlier. So that game is interesting. Then Alabama and Florida will come up here, and then Auburn and Vandy in the nightcap. I think if Auburn wins that ball game, you got to start thinking about Auburn. You know, how high can Auburn play up? You know, I don't think they can get to a top eight, but I think they could be right there around South Carolina. I think they would certainly be – they're hosting. I don't, think there's, I don't think there's much question now. With Tennessee losing and Auburn winning – you know, Alabama, of course, is in there, too. And if I had to pick between Alabama and Auburn, I would pick Auburn, even though Alabama won the series. That's what Alabama will say. We won head-to-head. I think there's a lot more metrics than that you have to consider. So I think Auburn is probably probably in a position to host. I think a win tonight removes all doubt about that. And then uh, everybody that's still playing, of course, tomorrow will be kind of a wild day. A lot of games to be played tomorrow if you follow the bracket. Uh, but all that said, we're not there, which sucks. It absolutely sucks. And uh, I spoke about that with, with Zach Selman earlier. You know, uh, I said I'd much rather be in Hoover than sitting here in Starkville in this wonderful office talking about sports. I'd rather be covering sports. So with that, let's go ahead and transition into our Zach Selman segment of the show, brought to you by our friends at Portico. If you're moving to Starkville, I would suggest going to Portico. And that's the deal, man. Uh, 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. So close enough for convenience, far enough away to have a little privacy, uh, to have a little bit of, uh, you know, peace and quiet. I mean, you're not going to be, you know, living within earshot of Frat Row. You know, they can have a good time and so can you. You can get out there and quietly cut the yard and not have to worry about, uh, you know, pulling beer cans out of your yard. You shouldn't anyway. Uh, but nevertheless, next time you're in town, go by and see it for yourself. Turn off 82 on to 12, like go into campus. The very first ride is Pat Station Road. Go through the four-way stop. There's Portico on the right. That's how close it is, right? Be sure to go check it out. Uh, you can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home. Go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. And anything in between, you need a custom build that can accommodate you. Phase one's completely sold out. Phase two underdeveloped. Many of those homes are sold, but there are some available for, to purchase now. In addition to that, if you'd like to uh, have a say in your housing plans, you can do that. You can pick out a lot, and you can put together a custom build. Reach out to Brooks Bryan for more information. Uh, Diamond Dog Hero, Brooks Bryan, uh, 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move. Okay, 
So I went and sat with Zach, uh, got a call, and basically said, hey, listen, I, I called basically to get some clarification on, uh, on Monday about Chris Lamontis. You know, of course, I had been hearing, you know, that Lamontis is being retained, but it's like, hey, I'd like to get an official comment about this. You know, I didn't expect the university to release a statement per se, but I was like, hey, you know, I'd like to, can we get, you know, kind of the thought process behind retaining Lamontis and not making a coaching change? And I, I've shared with you guys my thoughts on it. I still believe the shortest path back for us is to retain Chris for another year. Now, if he doesn't get it done next year, there's no question. There's no debate to be had. But I believe we're going to have a good year next year. I, I do. I, but to be fair, I believed it last year, too. When we got through the portal, I was like, hey, we got some new toys to play with. We're going to be good. Little did we know that the pitching was going to be more of the same. And so I asked Zach about that, you know. And he said he has a lot of confidence in Chris. And uh, a lot of confidence that Chris has a good plan. They have discussed it in detail over the course of the last several weeks. Uh, Chris is going to hire his own pitching coach. A lot of people have said, oh, I bet, you know, Selman and Keenum. No. They're going to give autonomy to Chris to make this decision. And that's the thing that I've always said is like, you know, if how can you hold somebody accountable when you're telling them how to do their job? You have to give them the autonomy and you have to empower them to make their own decisions. If you're making the decisions, then, you know, you, you're, you're wasting a lot of money paying a coach. And so that's the big talk now is, you know, what's the pitching coach situation look like? It will be Chris Simonos' decision. It was Chris Simonos' decision uh, to relieve Scott Fox all of his duties. And as Chris said, probably the most difficult day he's ever had as a coach. you got to fire a friend. And that's the hard part about working with friends is sometimes so sometimes you give them more benefit of the doubt than perhaps they deserve. It's difficult at times to be objective when you work with friends. It's always got to be a principles for personality thing. But uh, I do think Chris Simonos is a good coach. I think we've had a couple of bad years. And uh, Chris has got a long way to go to earn back the trust of a lot of our fans. And I think that's just kind of part of the process. And you got to get the pitching coach in place, and you've got to have a very successful portal class. And uh, Zach sees that too. You know, but, of course, Zach's not in the middle of all that. That's what he's paying a, a, football, a baseball coach to do. Now, we also spoke about the logo. Now, I don't know how you feel about it. Some people are, are incredibly invested in this, and there are some others that just couldn't care less. You know, they're just like, I, you know, whatever, you know. Uh, I'm going to wear whatever represents Mississippi State, and, and I'm proud to wear it. And, and I, I see, you know, both sides of that. Uh, I think that the M State banner, I think it looks good on a lapel pin. I think it looks good on letterhead. I think it looks good perhaps on a road sign. Uh, and maybe it even looks pretty good on, uh, on the Humphrey Coliseum floor. Maybe. Maybe. I don't think it looks good on a jersey. I just don't. I don't think it looks good on a jersey. I, I, maybe that's the university logo, but I think we need to use some secondary marks. Uh, I love the script state. I know some of you are like, what's the big deal? I love it. I think it looks great. I really do. I, I think you know, we are state. When you mention state in the southeast, everybody knows you're talking about Mississippi State. You know, Ohio State is a brand of its own. In Michigan State, they're MSU. That's how they're branded. But in the South, when you say state, among Southeastern Conference school fan bases, they know exactly what you're talking about. The only other state school is Louisiana State, and they're LSU. There is no other LSU. That's how they're known. 
And so in my, my personal opinion, and for what that's worth, is we need to embrace being state. We do. I think the script looks great on the jersey. I think it looks great in our social media platform. Uh, I like the fact that we have uh, embraced some change. And we've done, you know, once a year we'll do a throwback logo. We know we've done the Flying M, you know, and we're going to do the interlocking MSU this year, which I, I again, think it's the greatest football uh, helmet sticker we ever had. Not the MSJ, the MSU. Not the MSJ of the 80s, but the MSU of the 90s. It was our best logo. And for years, people said, oh, well, Nike owns the logo. But that's not true. It's not how it works. You know, if somebody designs something for you, it becomes your property once you've paid them to do it. And so we're going to bring that back this year. We're going to do a throwback game this year, and we're going to wear that, that interlocking MSU, which will probably win the game by 70, which will be evidence we need to wear it more often. Uh, I don't really mind, you know, the M-State logo on, you know, on university-type fair. I, ju I just disagree with it. I just don't think it looks good. Like, I think about, like, our softball jerseys, right? And then um, we got that big M-State. And it's just not attractive to me. Maybe you feel differently. And some people would say, Steve, why are we spending so much time talking about this? You know, and that's a good question. I think a lot of it's because of the fact that I want everything connected with Mississippi State to be great. I don't want it to just be average or good enough. I want it to be great. And some people say, well, you know, Steve, well, why do we need to change the logo? Well, why did we ever need to change it? Well, it's to be fresh. It's to define an era in a moment in time. It's to be innovative. You can say, you know, Alabama's never changed your logo. And there's some truth in that. We have several times. And I think many times, to be honest with you, I, I, you know, and Alabama fans won't like this, but I, I, I think the Alabama – Uniform combo stuff's kind of boring. It is. And it's like, yeah, but when you turn it on, you know it's Alabama. Well, my thing is, if you turn it on and you need to gain the, the, the combatants explained to you or introduced to you, you probably shouldn't be watching anyway. You turn on Penn State, you know it's Penn State. But Penn State's a boring universe, uh, uniform combo. It just is. And so we got to be different. We don't have the tradition of Alabama or Penn State, Right. I mean, you look at what happened at Oregon, right? Remember how many people complained about those neon green and yellow uniforms and how dumb they looked? But you know what? Recruits loved them. And all of a sudden, it's kind of become Oregon's thing. It has. You know, they're wild uniform combos, but you know what? Recruits love them. They think it looks fresh. And so it's not about necessarily making you and I happy. I want to do what markets Mississippi State, the student-athletes, that makes us win football games, baseball games, basketball games. That's my personal opinion. I also asked um, Zach about Adidas. You know, a lot of people don't like the Adidas stuff. I, you know, I don't like all the Adidas stuff, but I don't have a really strong opinion about it. There are a lot of people that think, hey, we should just switch to this company or that company. Well, we have to switch to the apparel provider deal that makes us the most money and gives us the ability to brand ourselves the way we want to it's not like it's not like going to uh hibbits and then you can just walk in there and buy whatever brand you want it's not like that you have to negotiate a deal and there are some of these companies that have an exclusivity deal within their states 
so say for an example, like, you know, I don't know who Alabama is. So I think Alabama is a Nike school. Yeah, I, su- I suspect that Auburn probably couldn't sign with Nike because Alabama is with Nike. And so I think that's important to understand. It's not like we can just go shop around and say, hey, we want to do Nike if Nike doesn't want us. And so Zach's got to make the best deal possible for Mississippi State. And if that's Adidas, then so be it. You know, we can buy our apparel from whoever. But some of the stuff that Adidas has done is hideous. I mean, it is. And some of it looks clean. Some of it looks good. I mean, I've got a lot of Adidas gear, but I don't have all of it. You know, but uh, that deal is up in a year, and uh, we are going to shop around a little bit. We may ultimately re-up with Adidas. But Zach's got to get the best deal for Mississippi State and for our student-athletes. And to be honest with you, we're probably third or fourth in the packing order when it comes to that. You said, but Steve, we're a fan. We are. We are. But the reality of it is, is I can be comfortable in just about anything. I want our student-athletes uh, to look good and feel good because when you look good and feel good, you play good, right? I can always uh, you know, put on a Motley Crew shirt if I want to. But that's something that's coming up. And uh, if you want to read more of that, you can. You go over to jeanspage.com, and you can read his comments in their entirety. And uh, I just think it's important to get that out there. And there were so many people, too, and uh, this will come off almost petty, and if it does, so be it. There were so many people that were claiming to be so well-sourced about what was going on with Chris Amonis. And um, I would put my sources up against anybody, anybody, when it comes to Mississippi State Athletics. And uh, if it, chances are, if I don't hear about it, it means that somebody probably lied to me. Because I'm, I'm always asking the questions. And even after we got swept by Vanderbilt, you know, we start 0-6 in the league, you know, I start talking to people, and they said, ah, nah, we're fine. You know, you know e- even if the season doesn't go the way we hoped, and even at that point we thought we'd turn it around and at least make Hoover. You know, Lamontis, of course, had built up a lot of grace with our, our donorship, but also, too, with the university. And we just simply weren't prepared to make a coaching change. And it's not that we're, like, unprepared. It's just that we went into this season never expecting to have to even consider the possibility. And while there have probably been some conversations that uh, have been uncomfortable at times, I'm sure, for Chris Amonis, there was never any serious discussion about that, about making a coaching change. And, uh, again, I've talked to people for months about this. And I don't know if there's anybody in the Mississippi State media that has ever covered state baseball as extensively as I do. And so I feel like that I always got a pretty good finger on the pulse about what's going to happen. Now, here's the deal. I'm going to be, be completely candid with you here. I want it to work out with Chris Simonis and Mississippi State. Primarily because that's what it's best for Mississippi State. If Chris can't get it done, you know, Chris will remain a friend, I'm sure, down the road. And we just won't see each other at Walmart, Right. But my loyalty is to the M over S. And so when I come out here and say, hey, here's the reasons you keep Chris, it's because I think that's what's best for Mississippi State. I want it to work out. I can't sit here and tell you that I've got, you know, a ton of confidence that it's going to. And you can say, yeah, but Steve – if that's, if that's how you feel, well, when, when you don't know for sure what to do, you don't do anything. That's how business works. You know, by the time I – I mean, I've, I've fired over 100 people in my career. And by the time I did it, I was so absolutely sick of them, it was an easy decision to make. 
And by the, you know, towards the middle of end of my retail career, by that time, you know, I could kind of identify behaviors pretty early on that we could maybe rehabilitate and avoid having to terminate somebody. And I think that's kind of where we are right now. I think Zach has been a great sounding board for Chris and it's provided the support that Chris needs and also the autonomy that Chris needs uh, to try to get this thing turned around. But yeah, I want Chris to make it. I do. Because if Chris is successful, that means Mississippi State is successful. And that's what we all want. No matter who the coach is, you want Mississippi State to win. You know, there were a lot of people, of course, uh, you know, when you think about it in years past, a lot of our people couldn't even tell you who the coach was outside of baseball or even or maybe football. You know, a lot of fans out there, they just say, well, it's our coach. I mean, we've got a lot of fans out there that aren't as true maroon maybe as you are. They don't have that same intimate knowledge of the program and of the benefactors and participants that kind of depend on the ESPN to tell them that. But the reality of it is, is the decision has been made. No matter how anybody feels about it, it is time to move forward. And I do think that Chris Simonis doesn't have much leash for next year. And again, if he can't get it done, there's absolutely no debate. You know, the only thing that needs to be considered next year, if he can't get it done, is who the next coach is. And I'm not one that ever advocates firing a coach. And, um, you know, I'll be honest with you, I, I was extremely disappointed with the Ben Howland experience, extremely, as voiced on this show many times. But his final year here, there were some times that he showed some real flashes and the team responded. And I thought, hey, look at this. This is going to work out. Of course, things faded down the stretch. Ultimately, we had to make a decision. But by the time we, hired, we fired Ben Howland, everybody was in agreement. And, I, and remember this time last year, so many people were saying, hey, if Mike Leach loses the egg ball, we got to fire him. Forget the rest of the season. We lose the egg ball again, we got to fire him. And then not only did we win the egg ball, we won a bowl game. And uh, sadly, Coach wasn't with us when we won it, but uh, we won a bowl game and had a top 20 finish in Mike Leach's final season as a collegiate football coach. But there again, there were a lot of people would quote sources they were telling you, if we didn't win the egg, he's gone. That wasn't true, but that's what they were telling you. And I remember middle of the year, there were so many people in the media, Ole Miss is leaving us behind. And I said back then on this show and many others, what are you going to do when State and Ole Miss end the year with the same record? Oh, it's never going to happen. Well, it did. And then we have the egg. We have the bowl win. We have the top 20 finish. They have none of those things. So I ask you, who's leaving who behind? You're like, oh, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, sometimes you just got to take the loss and admit you were wrong. You know, I was wrong about this baseball team this year. I was right about Kentucky. I was wrong about Mississippi State. I'd much rather have been wrong about Kentucky and right about State. Little did I know that we'd have the pitching problems we have. And now we believe we've taken corrective action to fix it. So we'll move forward. But the reality of it is, is that, uh, you know, sometimes firing somebody isn't the right decision. I remember in 1996, and many of you will remember this, that, uh, you know, we had a three-win Mississippi State team down the stretch in football. And everybody was ready to fire Jackie Sherrill. Everybody. Everybody. And then he beats Alabama which led to the resignation of Gene Stallings at Alabama. And then we win the Golden Egg. And even though we 
missed out on the bowl picture and went five and six that year, we felt like, hey, we figured some things out. We've got some things turned around. And so people ask, well, you know, we ever had a coach that had a couple of bad years and turned it around? Well, not really in baseball. But there is precedent in football. And Jackie Sherrill, one of the most beloved coaches ever in Mississippi State history. And you know what happened after that 96 season for you young bucks that weren't even alive back then? 97, we had a 7-4 and four year. And had we won the Egg Bowl, we'd have gone to the Motor City Bowl. They went instead and beat Randy Moss in the uh, Motor City Bowl at Marshall and Chad Pennington. And we sat at home with a 7-4 and four record. And that was one of the things, too, that where the, the SEC began to have more of a say in, uh, in bowls. It's when, that's when that discussion first started. And then after Alabama got to go to the Independence Bowl at 6-6 six and six over Ole Miss, uh, that's when it really picked up in earnest here a couple of years in the early 2000s. But all that said, 97 we'll go 7-4. and four. In 98 we win the West and should have beaten Tennessee in the SEC Championship game. 99 we go 10-2 and two in regular season. And in 2000 uh, we had an 8-4 and four year, dropped some games we shouldn't have. And next thing you know, you know, the, uh, the Ole Miss machine and their private investigators and all that stuff and NCAA, you know, that, that became an issue for us. But one of the greatest heydays in Mississippi State football history came because we decided not to fire Jackie Sherrill when everybody wanted to. So I say that because it is not without precedence. There are some that can turn it around. And again, when, when you want somebody gone, you can find enough reasons to fire them. And when you want somebody to stay, you can find enough reasons to keep them. But at the end of the day, it was Zach Selman's decision. Absolutely his decision. And he's elected to keep Chris Simonis. And so now, you know, what we have to do is just move forward and kind of get behind the team, get behind uh, hiring a great pitching coach, you know, get behind, you know, having a great portal class and then navigating through this draft and, uh, yeah, and some of the guys, too, that are draft eligible, it's probably best they move on, right? we got to have roster retention of some of these guys, too, you know, like Hunter Hines. I mean, that's – you know, Hunter wants to be here. You know, we, we're probably going to have to make sure we get some NIL money to him because there's going to be other people out there that will be reaching out. And, yes, it's illegal. It is. But that's the reality of the world we, we live in. And so Hunter Hines is a big part of what we're going to need to do. we got to take care of that. We do. We got to take care of Hunter Hines. We do. We got to take care of Dakota Jordan. We got to get some guys healthy on the mound, and we got to add to what we have. And then we got to hope for the best. You know, I'm a guy that's eternally optimistic when it comes to Bulldog baseball. Uh, but the reality of it is, is that uh, I think we've got enough pieces coming back if we can stay healthy. When you think about, you know, Brooks Auger, Stone Simmons, Nate Williams, some of those guys coming back, perhaps Pico later in the year. But you can't just rely on that. We've got to go out and get some other pieces. But I think it, there are enough pieces to make it interesting. We have got to supplement that. Uh, and it, listen, you're going to have some diamond dogs go in the portal, and then you're going to have people in the Facebook groups are going to say, ah, I told you. And you're not going to realize, too, that some of these guys are leaving because it's probably best for both us and them. You need to understand that. And so there will be some guys go in the portal seeking their playing time. It doesn't mean it's an indictment on your coaching staff or your program or your administration. And there are a lot of people out there, this is one of the last things I'm going to say, 
A lot of people out there, it's like, we don't get what we want, so we want to label Zach Selman. Well, if Zach Selman didn't fire him like I wanted him to, then Zach Selman must be an idiot. You know, yeah, maybe you're the idiot. Did you ever consider that? Maybe, maybe, maybe you're wrong. So it's like, oh, our athletic director hadn't done anything. You know, Zach Selman sat down with me today and was very candid and frank about Bulldog baseball. He didn't owe that to me, but he's doing that for you. He's sharing that for you so you kind of understand what's taking place and kind of what his thought process was. And, again, you can read that its entirety over at jeanspage.com. You can. He didn't have to sit down with me. And I think Zach Selman is a very intelligent person. And uh, whether he's made the right decision, you know, only time will tell. But I tell you this, the, uh, the guy is excited about Bulldog athletics and the more times that I visit with him and have a chance to interact with him, the more I realize that I believe Dr. Mark Keenum made the right decision. All right, let's get out of here. And uh, if you had not done so, go to dogpilebook.com. You can get copies of Dogpile, Flim Flam, and Alpha Dogs. Uh, Bloomsville Leander soon leaving the market. If you hadn't got it, you can get it at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksMillion.com. Stark Villains gear always available at StarkVillains.com. Get yourself a Stark Villain t-shirt. Be, be the coolest kid in your class. And uh, come join our band of maroon misfits over at jeanspage.com. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.